Good morning, church. How are you? Hallelujah. I'm going to do this this morning. I'm going to try it. I feel like I should. So is that okay? Give Pastor Chris a big hand, would you? Hey, man, don't you love him and his wife, Brianna, and their ministry and their team? Come on, put your hands together again. You don't know how thankful we should be because they have to work with us, and so... Hallelujah, they, f- they feel it every day. Oh, my goodness. You have a good Thanksgiving season? Yeah? All is well? You over eight? How many of you over eight? Praise the Lord. How many of you have dieted since? I keep tempting myself to diet. My next meal, I'm going to go light. I really am. My next meal, I'm going to go lighter. And so uh, I'm so glad the Daniel fast starts uh, soon. You know, we plan that. Yes, it's beautiful. Right after the holiday season, glory to God, we go on veggies and uh, we go light. Hallelujah. However, I have proved that you can gain weight on the Daniel fast. It's true. Yeah, one year, one year I uh, pulled out the bread machine because we were going to do, you know, hearty breads. So, and uh, I, I proved that I could gain weight on the Daniel fast. So I want to talk to you again today. This is like our third Sunday of talking a little bit about counterculture uh, church and a little bit about church, what church is, church environment, uh, church family, and all of that. And um, uh, we, you know, I was thinking that counterculture church would be a good title uh, because um, we really are we really are different in the Northwest. We really are swimming against the tide. And last week I introduced some thoughts to us that that we we have to be you know I think we in the Northwest have to be maybe more into the Word than anybody else. Hello, somebody. Uh, thinking of America because uh, only ten percent uh, of us go to church in the Northwest. So Pierce County uh, often is the lowest churched county in the nation. And uh, when we say 10% of us go to church, I mean, these are statistics that have come out through Gallup, through Barna, through various research uh, at opportune times when they've done research. And uh, so when we say those numbers, uh, that includes, you know, every denomination. Uh, That includes uh, every religion, uh, in terms of gathering up on a weekend in, uh, like, Washington State. Oregon and Washington are right there at the worst. And so, you know, last week I was talking a little bit about, you know, how does that influence us? Maybe that influences more, us more, or maybe kind of the, the negative tide toward spirituality, toward Christ, toward Christianity. Maybe it influences us more than we realize, and... Uh, and, and we don't realize it just because we're so used to this environment. So then I think we've got to constantly be thinking, well, what is the church? Uh, what does God have? Uh, who are we as Christians? We want to be constantly immersing ourselves uh, in an atmosphere where we're becoming the church, not where we're just attending church. 
And I think that's part of the spirit in the Northwest. Part of the spirit in the Northwest or part of the spirit of the Northwest is to attend the church and not be the church. You follow what I'm saying? Uh, and, and so that's part, of, that's part of what we have to break through or break out of is that we have to continually be reminding ourselves that we are the church. The ministry doesn't belong to pastors, apostles, the fivefold ministry. The ministry belongs to you. That's part, of, that's part of the DNA of the church here is that we actually are the ministers. Hello, somebody? Uh, so the, the ministry doesn't belong to the clergy. The, the ministry belongs to all of us. And, and when he ascended, he gave all of his gifts to all of us. And so we are in gifted ones. Come on, look at somebody and say, I have gifts. that we have are the gifts of Jesus. So, so you know, in, in John chapter 20, 20 through 22, this is Jesus reappears. Uh, after the resurrection, and he walked with the disciples for 40 days. And he spent 40 days with them, and he made known to them, like revelation, he opened up their eyes. You remember the two guys on the road to Emmaus? And he opens up their eyes, and they didn't know they were walking with Jesus. I mean, this was happening for 40 days where he's, the resurrected one is spending time with them. And he's downloading, and, he's, and for three years they walked with him, but they didn't fully understand the kingdom of heaven. They didn't understand the kingdom of God. They didn't understand, but now they understand. They understand so much that Paul says in 2 Corinthians five sixteen, we actually knew him after the manner of the flesh. But from now on, we don't know him after the manner of the flesh anymore. That's right before the verse that if any man is in Christ Jesus, he's a new creature. Remember that verse? Come on, say it with me. If any man, that includes woman, is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creature. The old is gone. The new has come. So right before that verse, though, he says something really significant. He says that, that formerly we knew Jesus after the manner of the flesh. We knew that he was the son of Joseph and Mary. So they knew him after fleshly descent. But from now on, we know him no longer after the flesh. We know that he was the son of the living God. So, so their eyes were open, right? And then they go on to say, therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he too is a new creature. We don't know any man after the flesh any longer. Uh, we, we are a gathering of those who are so special, so unique, so called out, so, so adopted and transformed by God that we, that we no longer should recognize or know or hold one another to what we once were in the flesh. Amen? So we're, we're this unique people. And, and part, of the, part of what we're doing is discovering who we are. And we've got, we've got our doctrines. How many of you have ever gone to our website and looked at our statement of faith? One, two, three. Keep your hands up. That's pretty good. Wow, that's awesome. That's really cool. So, you know, we've got a pretty, a fairly generic statement of faith for a Christian church. But beyond that, there's also what we would term... Uh, Joel and I and our leadership team, the elders, what we would term as the DNA of our church. And I don't know if we have the DNA of our church posted, but I was thinking uh, this week that we should 
because part of this is, you know, we're, a lot of us, we, 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 we know that we're building our lives around Christ. That Christ is the cornerstone of our lives. He's the cornerstone of the church, but he's also the cornerstone of our lives. We're building our lives around him, so it's critical that we, that we have, really, an impartation of his DNA. And really, the DNA of a local church is really centered around the revelation that's come to the set man or the leader over that local church. Did you know that? So if I don't believe in healing, then I'm going to actually impart to you this disbelief concerning healing. If I don't believe in tithing, if I don't believe in prosperity, if I don't believe in restoration, whatever I don't, whatever I don't have a revelation on. And really the essence of this is revelation. That as we walk with Jesus, then we receive revelation. And uh, it can't come through a book. When I first started the church, I didn't know anything. I had very little revelation. And so I would teach you out of books. And then I remember people coming to me, you know, people who, you know, they felt drawn to us and knit to us and they felt, they felt called to us or maybe I snookered them into coming, uh, including Pastor Joel. She was snookered into coming. You know, and once in a while I would get comments like, you know, uh, that's a really good book you're teaching out of. You know, but sometimes if you're kind of just teaching out of the pages of a book, it's like dead revelation because it's not yours. You can't impart dead revelation. It's like serving yesterday's manna or serving manna that's somebody else's. It's just you can't impart anything out of it. So all of us have to press in to really get revelation. We have to press in. And even what we serve here, what we serve here, you have to say, Holy Ghost, yes in me. You have to be saying yes in me. You have, there has to be a yes in you where you're hungry for the manna that we're serving so that it becomes living manna to you. It becomes fresh revelation to you. So it transformed you on the inside. So you're you're able to not only live with it, but you're able to serve it yourself. Otherwise, the church still remains a them and us situation. They are teaching right now on restoration down there at New Horizon. Oh, is that where you go? Yeah, that's where I go. You remain a church attender, an outside observer, instead of an actual cell of the organism. God wants you to be a cell of the organism. He wants you to be a living, intricate part of this living organism called the church. And so you have to come with a holy yes. And it's not them. They aren't teaching restoration down there. We are receiving the word of restoration down there. Do you follow me? And this is, this is part of when we say, when we talk about unity, when we talk about the Bible, when we talk about the Word, when we talk about leadership, this is part of, I believe this is part of even Psalm 133. Let's go there, Psalm 133. Uh, part of Psalm 133 is that, that if we really are called to a place, then we actually become willing, oh boy, oh boy, 
forgive my tonality, by the way. I was listening to myself online, and I'm still, I'm still kind of learning how to talk again. I'm still kind of nasally. I don't really like my tone. Uh, I'm so glad that you're all able to put up with me. This is, it's, it's, ama- it's amazing how kind you are, because uh, I'm just not normal yet. But you've known for years I'm not normal, so it's, just, it's a joy that you continue to come hang out with a guy that's not normal. This is absolutely amazing. And you're still married to an unnormal guy. This is abnormal. Psalm 133. Um, I, I had a, a revelatory thought hit me when I, when I said this as well. So uh, we'll see if we can go there as well. Psalm 133. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. And of course, sisterin as well. It is like the precious oil Upon the head, coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard. Aaron was the high priest anointed, set apart by Moses, uh, and the beginning of the whole priesthood. And, um, and he would have been representative of the anointing because he would have become an anointor. Uh, so this is, this is really cool stuff. Uh, this and the anointing as they would anoint in those days, many of you know this, but as they would anoint in those days, it wouldn't be the ecclesiastical anointing that we have today with a drop on the finger and then a drop on the forehead uh, so that we don't affect the hairdo. Uh, The anointing in those days would have been a flask of oil over the head. It would have been a thorough dousing, and you would have looked like you might need a shower afterwards. Uh, This is not, it wouldn't be popular in our culture today. Uh, But the picture of that anointing coming over the head of someone who was anointed, uh, being set apart by God, the picture is that the Holy Spirit is, is coming upon all of them. It's not just a little dose of the Holy Spirit, but is a full dose of the Holy Spirit that encompasses the wholeness of who that person is so that they function out of that anointing from then on. So it is like the precious oil coming upon the head, coming down over the beard, even Aaron's beard coming down upon the edge of the robe. So then all the way down to the robe. It is like the dew over Fife on a frosty morning. Well, not quite, but some of us slip and slid to church this morning in the, in the frosty fog. It is like the dew of Hermon coming down, coming down over the mountains of Zion for their the Lord commanded the blessing, even life evermore. Life evermore uh, is a great picture of the tree of life. Uh, What I want you to catch is that, that unity is a key here. Unity is a key here. And what I wanted you to catch as well is that when we gather together, uh, in a house, in a place where we feel like God is in that place, God has marked the leadership of that house, then it's very interesting that it, it elicits a bit of a marriage relationship where we come and we take a submission to the mission. That is, we come and we are willing to give up our own doctrines, 
we're willing to give up our own opinions, we're willing to give up our own um, revelation maybe, or you follow what I'm saying? I don't know if you follow what I'm saying. But when the two become one, uh, one, one takes a submissive role. And uh, I can't say that it's been real fun for this one down on the front row. Uh, hello, somebody. It's not like always super easy. We're talking about maybe the hardest thing in your life uh, as a wife is to take this submissive role. Yes? But this is a mystery that also has its picture in the church. Are you following what I'm going? Are you, are you picking up what I'm laying down? Uh, and so, you know, this is, this is interesting is that, you know, unity in a house is very important. Unity in a house is so important. Unity in a church is so important. Uh, and uh, it might mean, uh, it might give us different ways to take up the cross. Is it, well, you know, um, uh, I, I wish we had more worship here. I wish we could worship for an hour. But if pastor feels like this is how long we ought to worship on a Sunday morning, then I will get into agreement with that. I really wish we could all come to the microphone and talk on a Sunday morning. But if pastor really doesn't feel like all of us should come to the microphone and talk on a Sunday morning, I will get in agreement with that. Now, you have to, you have to go back to something. Something that's held us together for 32 years is, am I called to this house? Am I a church attender or am I the church? And am I knit to this house? And is, has God put his hand on me for this house? And if so, and then sometimes we come, you know, sometimes we come with our questions like, Pastor, you know, I don't know. I just wish we had more worship. Well, have you tried worshiping on your own? Well, that's, it's kind of challenging. It's a little rough. It's inconvenient. My stereo doesn't work well. I just wish you would do this. Okay, well, we do this. You know, we, we provide various other opportunities of worship as well. Now, now, I'm just playing with you. I'm taking one little, small little theme and messing with you. But you follow what I'm saying? Uh, I, w- I just wish we had communion all the time. Have you, have you tried it on your own? I, I, just, I wish the speakers weren't quite so loud. Have you tried the earplugs we have at the media center? Pastor wants the volume this loud. So we get in agreement with this. Now, I'm, I'm talking about trite, silly things right now. But really, when, but there's also a DNA that makes up who we are. Uh, there's a DNA of restoration that we really believe that God is restoring. Uh, we're, not, we're not hopeless over the earth. We're not hopeless over the state of uh, the economy. We're not hopeless over, over our presidency. We're not hopeless over our government. We're not hopeless over uh, the state of the church. We're not hopeless over uh, what happened in France last week. We're not hopeless, we're not hopeless over, uh, we're not prophesying the Antichrist. We're not, we're not looking for more doom and gloom. We're, like, we're looking for 
uh, believers to take over the globe. We're, looking, we're not looking to get off of the planet. We're looking to get the kingdom of God on the planet. We're not looking for less ministry. We're looking for the fullness of Jesus in every believer. We're not looking for you to be afraid of water. We're looking for you to walk on water. These, these are part of, the, I mean, part of the DNA of this church. And so when you come in here, you begin to kind of soak in the DNA. You can't catch the DNA in one service. And you can't catch the DNA of who we are and what God's called us to and what God has deposited by revelation in our doctrinal statement. You can't catch it in our doctrinal statement. But as you begin to soak in it, as you begin to, uh, because you, you know, you, you are amalgamous. I looked up the term amalgamous. I, I wanted to just chase that down a little bit. But, you know, when you begin to soak in something, then the something begins to get in you and it begins to transform you. If you'll soak in something long enough, the thing you're soaking in gets in you and it begins to change you. And, and I, I, you know, I, I, I mean in a good way. Right? If you soak in turpentine, that might be bad. If you, if you soak in lemon juice, it might be bad. I don't, I, if you soak in vinegar, that might be bad. I, if, you, you know, you, if you soak too long over at Hanford, that might be bad. But if, if you soak, listen, if you soak in the full DNA of Jesus, and what we're craving here is the revelation of Jesus upon us so that we can impart the revelation of Jesus, so that the DNA of this house carries the revelation of Jesus. Because when we receive the revelation of who Jesus fully is, and we bask in that, yes, and then we get in agreement over that. We have to get in agreement. This is crazy, but it's in unity. And I love what Pastor Joel said years ago. I've never forgotten it. Unity is not the absence of disagreement. Unity is full agreement, coming into agreement. Amen? I might, be, I might be messing with you so deeply this morning that some of you might have to say, well, this is not my church. So if I scare a few of you out of here this morning... I didn't mean to. Tithe before you leave. I don't know. I... <laughs> oh, Lord, have help us. Help us, Jesus. Oh, my goodness. Okay, I got a, I got a, my Bible's getting too old. I have a, I got a, kind of a page torn out of the Bible here, but um, again, I'm thinking about revelation. You know, the way we operate, our DNA is that uh, you shouldn't be on this platform in this place uh, unless you are called by Jesus. This is a real, this is actually a very fearful place to be. Very fearful place to be. Um, and um, here in our DNA, we take this extremely seriously. And uh, so much so that I, um, um, you know, I, I know what it's like to talk without the anointing. 
and I've actually had the anointing lift off of me for a season. And the bullets that you sweat, trying to represent Jesus without his anointing on you, it is so, it is so dreadful and uncomfortable. It's just not good. Now, given that, that you, hopefully if you come here, you believe that that's what's happening here, that Jesus has set these leaders apart, these people apart, even this eldership team apart, and that his anointing is present here to teach and instruct and to help us. And uh, not even that Sunday is the full, Sunday morning is not meant to be the full expression of all that Jesus wants to do with us. This is meant to be an inspirational expression of what Jesus wants to do with us. We want a prayer center here that is, that is filled with prayer and the, the aroma of prayer all the time. We want a Bible school here that is teaching and training. We want, uh, we want worship here that is ascending more frequently and often as was in David's house and David's tabernacle. So don't ever think that what we do on Sunday morning is the fullness of the expression of what we want or desire here. Amen? I want to read to you 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, I'm sorry, chapter, chapter 3, verse 18. Um, and again, it goes back to this point of revelation. What we really want is more of Jesus. Jesus was the full Hebrews chapter 1. Not that we're going there. Jesus was the full embodiment of the revelation of the Father. Jesus said, John 5, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Amen? Jesus, I was going to quote to you John 20, 20 through 22. Jesus breathed on them after 40 days. He breathed on them. It was ruah. It was, it was a, like a second act of recreation. It was a mirror of Genesis 1 and 2. Jesus breathed on them, John 20, 20 through 22, right before he went up and ascended at the end of the 40 days, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. When they received the Holy Spirit in that moment and he breathed on them, it was their born-again moment. We were born wrong the first time without that breath of the communion of the Holy Ghost in us. When we receive him, we receive his breath. They receive that. And... And that revelation of Jesus is what we crave. Verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 3, but we all with unveiled face. Have you got it? Remember I told you I've got a piece torn out of my page. 2 Corinthians 3, 18. But we all with unveiled face. There it is. All reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Amen? Is that what we want? Go over to Exodus 18. I read this to you last week, but I want to go there again because we didn't, we didn't polish off some of our thoughts. And I guess part of what 
uh, part of what I would say to you this morning is God wants you, um, he doesn't want you to attend a church. He wants you to be the church. He wants you so wrapped up and wound up over the church. you realize that the church used to be the center of the community? There's a reason for the church being built in the center of the community because the church is central to your life. And your life, your whole life, springs out of the spiritual activity that happens with the church, with the body of Christ. Amen? Um, Exodus 18. I really feel like that that God might be even right now marking some of you or speaking to some of you how he wants you more enmeshed, more on board, more unified, more in agreement with this house that he's called you to, more passionate about what do we believe, less passionate about arguments, dissension, opinions, and more passionate about what do we believe, how do I lay hold of more of that in my life? Um, I, 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 want to, uh, I, I want to applaud Chris. Uh, because here's a young man who's running after what we believe and putting it into practice. And it's blessing his life and blessing everyone around him. But God wants that for you. God, it's, it's not for Chris only that you can run after these things in God. Amen? So Exodus 18, uh, we know Moses is leading all of the children of Israel. There's two million of them. That's a few more than New Horizon has. Um, there's like two million of them, and they come out of... Uh, Egypt, which is a type of bondage. Uh, But Moses is having trouble, and all of the people are coming to him. And they're coming to him for every decision. They're coming to him for counsel. They're coming for him uh, uh, as judge as well. So they're coming to him, and and his father-in-law, remember he ran away from his destiny, and he went to the backside of the desert. Well, when he got to the backside of the desert, he meets this beautiful girl, and uh, she waters his hot rod out there, whatever it was, Mazda, Tesla, whatever it was. And uh, so he's like, whoa. And then they invite him to the house. And, you know, and so he marries one of them. And it just happens to be the priest. Uh, Jethro is a priest out there. And so he shows up and really comes under this relationship that is really cool. So now God calls him back into his destiny 40 years later. And uh, so they're out uh, making their journey, and his father-in-law comes to visit. So this is a very wise man, very godly man, very powerful man, very strong man, and the father of his wife. And uh, so he comes to visit, and they're out in the wilderness, right? They're out in the desert. And so let's pick it up at verse 17. Um, let's pick it up at verse 12. Jethro is his name. Everybody say Jethro. Wasn't there a guy in the 
Was that the Beverly Hillbillies? That's how old I am. All of you remember the Beverly Hillbillies? Raise your head. Lord have mercy. Then Jethro, the Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and sacrifices for God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law there before God. And it came about the next day that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. Now when Moses' father-in-law saw that, what he was, that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this thing you're doing for the people? Why do you alone, said his judge, and all the people stand about you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. The people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, it comes to me, and I judge between a man and his neighbor and make known the statutes of God and his laws. And Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing that you're doing is not good. Everybody say, Not good. You will surely wear out, everybody say you will wear out, both you yourself and all these people who are with you. Who's going to wear out? Moses is going to wear out. Have you ever gone into like the licensing department and taken the number? You talk about a miserable experience. Lord bless the leadership of our state government. You're supposed to agree with me right now. Why are you laughing? Lord, bless the administration of all of our state government and federal government offices with wisdom, help, and abundant staffing in Jesus' name. You go in and you take that number, right? And you're like, okay. You know, it's like the other day, the line was so long, I just went outside the window and, you know, got on my phone. And, you know, the guy that gave me the number... You know, he's looking at me like I'm weird. But I'm like, I'm going to use this time, baby. Because you're there a long time. Imagine these people coming and pulling their number. And they are number 1,552. And they're waiting to meet with Moses. So it's not just Moses who was going to wear out. It says the people are going to wear out. Now, there's a principle here for us to catch is that when we have a like-minded house and we have like-minded leadership, then no one has to wear out. Look what Jethro said. You will surely wear out both you, both yourself and these people who are with you for the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Say that with me. You cannot do it alone. Everybody point to me and say, you cannot do it alone. You know what that implies? That implies you are here to help me. Everybody say, I am here to help him. Woo! Now listen to me, verse 19, and I will give you counsel and God will be with you. You be the people's representative before God, and you bring the disputes to God. Then teach them the, dis- the, the statutes and the laws, and make known to them the way in which they are to walk and the work that they are to do. But furthermore, you shall select out of all the people able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain, and you shall place them... 
you shall place these over them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. This is where we get small groups, church. This is where we get small groups. This is where we get connect groups. This is where we get eldership and deacons, and this is where we get leadership. And did you know that this is the first mention of government in the Bible? And from this point on, governments throughout secular and Christian Jewish, all realms of society have been fashioned like this right here. Thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Isn't that wild? So what this tells us, though, too, is that you, you in the body, you need a leader of tens. You need a leader of tens. Not just any leader of tens, But you need a leader of tens who has the heart of this house, who carries the DNA of this house. I want you to go over to Numbers 11. Go over to Numbers 11. I want you to see something out of Numbers 11. Is this okay? Time is going really slow. I thought I'd be done by now. This is an interesting passage. This is a wild passage because it is so, um, it is such a, um, a good picture of what church life can be like too. Numbers chapter 11. Now the people became like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some who sat on the back rows of the church. (laughs) Just teasing. And consumed some of those who were at the outskirts of the camp. Don't you know that the rebel rousers always go to the outskirts of the camp? The rebel rousers always get as far away from leadership as possible. Smoking in the ballroom, yes indeed. All right, so nonetheless. The people therefore cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died out. So the name of that place was called Taborah, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. And the rabble, there's a good word for you, everybody say rabble. And the rabble who were among them had greedy desires, and also the sons of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we used to eat in Egypt, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic, but now our appetite is gone. There is nothing at all to look at except this manna. This blasted manna. Now, the manna was like coriander seed, and its appearance was that of bedellum. By the way, bedellum is a stone out of Eden. So God was feeding them with something special out that was a mirror of the Garden of Eden. And even in the midst of that, they complained. 
Isn't that wild? So the people would go about and gather it and grind it between two millstones and beat it into mortar and boil it and put, make it into cakes. And its taste was the taste of cakes baked with oil. And when the dew fell on the camp at night, the manna would fall with it. Now Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, each one at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly, and Moses was displeased. Now, the reason I think this is a lot like church is because, you know, like, there's not enough of this. You know, people, you know, we start complaining. And, and uh, we, we complain about, you know, what's happening. We complain about, you know, they take too many offerings. And we complain about the teaching's not good enough. We complain about, you know, we come up with all sorts of things that we complain about, right? And it's interesting that I think when we complain, it doesn't make the Lord, like, in this great happy mood. It not only displeases the Lord, but it displeases the leadership over us. But the leadership is so merciful that, that even though if God is not moving in the midst of us because of complaint, then the leadership goes to God and begins to cry out, God, would you still show some kindness to these people? Even though they're whining and complaining about everything, including the way that toilet paper comes off of the roller in the women's bathroom. Yeah. I know, some of you don't like that, do you? I know, I know. It's a pain in the... pain in the rear. So Moses said to the Lord, why have you been so hard on your servant? This is, the, your, this is, your, this is what pastors go through. 80% of all pastors in America want to resign on Monday. And 80% of all resignations that happen with pastors happen on Monday. Isn't that crazy? So Moses said, why have you been so hard on your servant? Why have I not found favor in your sight that you've laid the burden of all these people on me? Was it I who conceived all these people? Was it I who brought them forth that, I should, that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing infant to the land which you did swear to their fathers? Where am I to get meat for these people? And they weep before me saying, give us more teaching and more deep meaning and more worship and communion. I didn't give birth to these children. I am alone. I'm not able to carry all of these people because it's too burdensome for me. If you're going to treat me this way, just kill me at once. And get, take me out of my misery. And if I've found any favor in your sight at all, do not let me see my wretchedness. My wretchedness, because I can't, I can't do this. So then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men from the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and of their officers, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. Everybody, take, everybody say, take their stand. He had to find 70 who he knew were already elders, people, captains of tens, fifties, hundreds, or thousands. He had to find 70 
who would come into unity with him so that they would bear the burden of the people in unity with him so that when you came to them, they would give you the same answer that Moses would give you. When you came with a need, they would pray just as fervently as Moses would pray. When you came with a dispute, they would give you the same wisdom. When you came with a baby that was dying, they would stay up with you all night just as Moses would. Hello? Are you in the room today? Some of you, and I'm, uh, uh, this, is, this is part of us realizing that we are not to attend the church. We are the church. That we are knit, we are made to be unified with our leadership so much so that we carry the same spirit, the same DNA that is on them. We carry it, we long for it, we open our hearts to it, we set apart whatever has been our dispute, and it's really hard to do. This is the mystery of the church. It's really hard to do. It's like the mystery of a marriage. It's the hardest thing you'll do is set aside your agenda and take up the agenda of the revelation on the leadership of the house that God has set you in. It's as hard, and for you that are men who have never had to be a wife, guess what? God's called you to be married to me. Married to me in Jesus. And this is going to be the hardest thing that you can do is to trust me. And to trust even if I'm wrong, God will straighten me out and you'll agree with me until he does. Wow. We're talking about how to be the church. Not to attend a church. We're talking about how to be the church. How to be a unified people. So unified that God in that place. Did you know that God will command his blessing where, where error exists? Some of, us from, some of us from community chapel know that. Hello. Some of us came from the history. Some of us have come from histories of churches where there was error in the church, and yet God was commanding the blessing so strong, the anointing was so powerful, it was literally blowing the enemy out of a region. It was literally manifesting with glory in the house, even though the place had error. Because God can take and steer a moving car much easier than he can a parked one. And God can move in that place where there's a humility in leadership, where there's a tenderness, and God can rearrange and change, and he will literally transform us from glory to glory as we go, not before we get there. As we go, he's transforming us. As we go and pursue him, we become more and more adjusted, attuned, aligned with Jesus as we go. God does not say to leadership, get perfect, then you can lead. God says, receive this revelation and walk with it, and I'm going to call a people to walk around you who receive it as well, and in that place I'll command the blessing. Is this hard? Hard to chew? You okay? 
Who does he think he is? Gather for me 70 men. Come on, band and singers, would you come? We've got to close quickly. Gather for me 70 men from the elders who you know to be elders of the people and officers and bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand with you there. And then I will come down and speak with you there and I will take of the spirit who is upon you and put him upon them and they shall bear the burden of the people with you so you shall not bear it alone. What just happened? What just happened? There were a people. He went out and found people who would yield in such a way that the anointing on him would be welcomed on them. And the Holy Spirit says, so, th- so this is interesting. That means that there was something powerful on Moses. Go ahead and stand with me this morning. Something powerful on Moses of God. And he says, I will take of the same spirit that is on you and I will put it on them. This morning I I printed out this uh, little DNA sheet and we have them at the Connection Center. Um, There might not be 70 of you, but there could be 70. There could be 140 there could be 50 of you that you, you know this is the Holy Spirit ministering to you this morning, saying, I want you deeper. I want you deeper. I want you more planted, more rooted, more grounded. They who are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish. Psalm 92. And so it's not just our doctrinal statement. It's our DNA. I want you to grab this this morning on your way out. And I want you to be one who just says, I want, I, I want to come into agreement. It's not the absence of fighting. It's not the absence of, absence of contention. It's not the absence of disagreement. But it's the fullness of yes. The fullness of agreement. And I want that for my life. I want that because I know that God has set me here called me to this house. Amen? Heads bowed, eyes closed all across the auditorium.